Hey, moms. Are there any grandmothers? Yay! That's the best, right? Being a grandmother is the best. You get to do it again better than you did it the first time. That's, that's how I'm seeing this whole grandmother thing. Um, you know, and we had a lot of kids. We had five kids, and um, then those kids had a lot of kids, um, which is why we now have a lot of grandchildren and a lot of great-grandchildren. But I was not invited here um, because anyone ever thought me to be the perfect mom, because I am not. Um, just ask my kids. They would be happy to tell you about all my failures, everything that I did wrong. Don't ever let your kids go to therapy, because a couple of mine did, and now it's all my fault. And... Um, and that's okay. I'm perfectly willing to take the blame because there were lots of mistakes that I made. Um, we've had some painful failures, and we've had many undeserved successes. And over the 54 years I've been a mother, I have learned many important things. But the most important thing that I have learned is that God is more merciful, more personal, more loving, more powerful than I ever imagined. I don't know about you, but I'm reassured by scripture. I'm sorry, there's such a small podium and I have <clears throat> a plethora of scratched up notes here. Um, scripture, it tells blatantly how families have failed. You don't see very many successful fathers or successful mothers really even in the word, which is encouraging to me because I would put myself right in that group. And, and as I read through and I study families and I look at the moms and I look at the dads and, and I realize because I can get very guilty as a mother. Anybody else suffer from guilt? Should have done it better. Should have done it sooner. Um, should have done more. What all that I can really suffer from that. But when I look at scripture, I realize that, that failure is just part of the game of being a parent. And um, there was only one perfect parent, and that was God the Father. And he created these two offspring of his, Adam and Eve. And think about this. He was the perfect father. They lived in the perfect place. They had perfect fellowship with him. And guess what? They messed up big time. So even if the perfect God the Father had trouble with his kids, then I don't think that you and I should be amazed when we do. And maybe you don't. I remember when I had my first two kids, I thought, I've got this. They minded me. They loved me. They followed me around. They were adorable. Everybody said how cute they were. And then they began to grow up into their own personalities and their own temperaments. And I realized that I was in big trouble because I didn't really know what to do with them. And then when they became teenagers, anybody have teenagers? Okay, that, I, I, I remember when I was a young Christian, and um, you know, if you know my story, Mike and I were married. Then we, I had, we had two kids. We got divorced, and because he was crazy, and then we got married again, and then we had three more kids, and 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 we were all about Jesus was coming back at that time, and I can remember praying out, oh no, don't come back yet, don't come back yet. I've got these adorable babies. Oh, I've got these beautiful children. Oh, I've got this brand new family. And then as soon as these were teenagers, I'm going now. Now would be a good time. Now you can come. But it has been a journey, and it has been a wonderful one. I would not have missed any of it for the world. I have loved being a mother. I love being a grandmother. I love being a great-grandmother. And when I read through chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, 
and I hear Moses' instructions to the second generation of Hebrews, because the first generation didn't get to go in, the second generation of Hebrews that are now, they stand on the brink of the promised land. And he is giving them these instructions about how they will live, how they will prosper, how they will survive, how they will serve God as they go in. And the instructions are so important. And I love Swindoll's book because he really takes this scripture and he makes it apply to mothering, to parenting, which I thought was awesome. Because being a mother really was to me like the promised land. I, ever since I was a little girl, all I wanted to do was to be a mom, to have kids. And, and I was waiting for that wonderful promised land, just like the Hebrews now at this point in the history of the Old Testament are waiting to go in there. And Moses has watched them. He has seen them rebel, refuse to go on, refuse to go forth, refuse to remember. Uh, for 40 years, he has put up with them. And now they are going into this promised land. And I love the idea that it's a promised land. And I thought of mothering as my promised land. But I didn't realize as I got into it and I began to have my babies and my children that this promised land of milk and honey also had problems, pagans, predators. Canaan was full of difficulties. And being a mother has been full of wonders and blessings, but also full of difficulty. And Moses speaks now as a parent, as a father, to these people. He's cared for them. He's instructed them. He's warned them. He's rebuked them. He's disciplined them. He's encouraged them. And now they get to go in. And the way that Swindoll works with this sixth chapter, applying it to children and mothering, I loved. First of all, <clears throat> he lists, and I'm just going to review this for you, and then I'm going to kind of go off in my own direction. But you read the book. You read the chapter, right? You know this. Okay, he gave us six principles. First of all, he says it starts with you. That's the first principle. Second, it must be authentic. These are my words. Three, it must be courageous. Four, it cannot be dependent on prosperity, which I thought was a very wise thing to put it there. Number five, it cannot be and it shouldn't be compromised. And the sixth one, it's got to be based on God's great faithfulness, his presence, his power, and the future that he has for us and our children. I also love the idea, because I love anything that's graphic like that, that he used this idea of these three circles. Do you like that too? The first one was personal. The second one, as it's, it's like throwing a pebble into a, a river where you see the first concentric circle, and then you see the second one, it's personal. The second one's family. And the third one is the world. This effect that we have by following what Moses is going, these instructions that he's going to give on us personally, on our family, and on the world. So I'm trusting that you read and you studied this chapter with your Bible open. I hope it's open now to Deut Deuteronomy 6 because it was very encouraging to me. This promised land in my life of motherhood, to have children, to be a family, was so important to me. But the reality of it when I entered into this promised land was that it was full of danger, it was full of enemies, was full of distractions, it was full of temptations. As wonderful as it was, there were battles. And in these battles, 
we suffered both wins and losses. And honestly, I was not prepared for the complexity of raising a family. But Moses is preparing this fledging Hebrew nation for this. And after I read through the, that, the last chapter and I got everything that Swindoll was saying, I thought it was wonderful, ministered to me in so many ways, I did something different. And this is something I always do. I love God's Word. I'm a student of God's Word. I'm a teacher of God's Word. And I love commentaries and I love books. But there always comes a moment when I'm preparing that I put everything away, where I sit down, books away, I open up my Bible, just my Bible. And it's just God and me and His Word. And I ask Him to show me personally what I need to know. The first thing that I noticed as I sat just with the sixth chapter was this word, command or commandment. He is going to be very specific with them, and what he tells them is not a kind, gentle reminder from an old, tired man. The words that Moses uses in this chapter are not suggestions, they're not lofty ideas, they are commands and commandments. There is no wiggle room to what Moses speaks. The commands are serious, the penalties for refusing them are severe. He uses the word command or commandments nine times in this short chapter. This is very important for you to understand. There is no wiggle room to what he is saying. We are called, required, prompted to obey and to do these things. They are not negotiable. They're for you, for me, for my generation, for your generation, and the generations to come. They're for mothers, they're for grandmothers, even for me today with all these grandchildren before me. And I love to be told what to do. When scripture tells me what to do, I can fall right in line. If there's any wiggle room, I will wiggle out of it. But Moses gives no wiggle room. He's telling them what to do, how to do it, why to do it, and the consequences if they don't do it. Honestly, I never would have imagined chapter 6 would be used for parenting, but I love this clear, concise, convicting, challenging chapter. So let's start at the beginning. Now this is the commandment. He's not messing around. He says it right there. And these are the statues and the judges, judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them. In the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you right away. Commandment, commanded, commandment, command. And they're not only for you, they're for you and your son and your grandson. This is a multi-generational thing that he is sharing with us. That your days may be prolonged. Therefore, he says, hear, or, O Israel, or to me, hear, O mother, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in this land 
flowing with milk and honey. And what is this commandment? Here it is. Here's the first one. And I love that he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. First he says, who God is. He is yours. It's personal. It's possessive. He is your God, and he is the one God. And this is what, who he is, and this is what we're to do with him. And, the, and it all starts with you. It starts with you as a mother right here. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God, possessive. How? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses is saying, listen, this is who he is. He is the Lord our God. He is the one God. And this is what you are to do. This is the commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This complete love relationship that God wants you to have with him. You shall. This is the commandment. This God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the most important thing that you can do as a mother. It is your relationship, excuse me, with your personal God. And it's a relationship that needs to be personal, and it needs to be passionate. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And what is it that we are to do? We are to love him like that. I'm amazed that this one God, this mighty God, wants me, asks me, and it appears even needs me to love him. We are commanded to do this. And this is the greatest example you can give your children. Your relationship with the Lord will shine out to them like nothing else. You are to love him like no other This love relationship, and I'm telling you this in all honesty, it will not only speak to your children, not only be an example to him, to them, but when things go wrong, this love relationship with him will sustain you. When you're weak and you feel like you can't go on, this love relationship will strengthen you. When you could totally run out of anything that you know to do, this love relationship will supply you. When you're faced with the prodigal, this love relationship will strengthen you. When you feel that you can't go on, this love relationship with your God will walk with you in the difficult times. It's got to be personal, and it's got to be passionate. It's got to consume all of you. And sometimes I think about mothering. I think about all the things I need to do and all the things I need to say. But according to this, the most important thing that I can do is have this love relationship with God. And it's got to be a priority. And you can't let your mothering, your busyness, your housework, even your loneliness, your failures, your fears, or even your successes keep you from this kind of relationship with him. And when I see things going a little bit wrong in our family, rather than trying to figure out what's going wrong over there, I look and see what's going wrong with my relationship with him. It's all, 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 all of us, all of that we are needs to love him. And then he goes on and he says, these words which I command you today, that word again, command, shall be in your heart. 
So you're to love him. And then these words shall be in your heart. And what are you going to do with all that you know about this God that you love like this and who loves you that, and all his words are in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And this is how you're to teach them. And I love this. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up this you passing on this knowledge of God talking about him. Every place that you are, when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you're lying down, and when you rise up, be speaking and teaching your children about this God who you love with all of you. But not only is it going to be audible, you're going to speak of those things, it's going to be visible. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And the Jews still do this. They wrap these little uh, leather boxes around their hands. And, and, they, and they wrap one around their forward. If you've ever been to Israel, you will see them. Um, it becomes not, a, no, not only audible, but it is visible. And not only just in your home, now outside that concentric circle now moves outside. And verse 9 says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates so that all will see and all will know from your heart to your mouth to your hands to your head to your doorposts. Let everyone know that you love God. So I was fascinated with the word command and commandment. It really reminded me that this is not this is not a free choice thing. This is what I need to do. Um, and the lover of God becomes the teacher of God. And we teach about this God that we love to our children, children diligently, outside, inside the home. When you lie down, when you rise up. When I read that, I thought, when do I ever get to lie down? Um, but still, at all times. And be creative about this. And be sensitive to the age that your children are. Um, when our kids were, were little, um, Mike would read a portion of scripture and then, um, we would, we would let the kids act it out. And, and they never forgot that time when they did a play about something that Mike had, had shared with them. They love to be front and center. They love to be watched. They love to be funny. Um, they would get the words wrong and we would all laugh, but, but they loved playing the parts of, of the people in scripture. Um, and, and it was so memorable and it was so much fun to watch them to, to do that. Um, I don't know if you would approve of this, but when our kids got older, um, he, um, took them to the book of Proverbs and, um, and of course a dollar was worth more than when my kids were this age, but he would pay our kids, um, a dollar for each proverb that they read and then wrote in their own words. So when they were done, they'd have, you know, more than $30 that they, they would get from doing, not only that, they had read this word and it, and they had written this word out and they had put it in their own words and they had learned it. Um, be, be creative, find a way. Uh, one of our, uh, sons, um, had um, some learning disabilities and, and reading was a problem for him. And we found, I don't know if they even still make this, but we found the whole New Testament in comic book form. You know, and he devoured them. I don't know if they're still available because it was easy for you to, for him to see the picture and, um, and, and look at the words. Find a way. This is your job. 
Now you now, the lover of God, becomes the teacher of God to your children. And um, even the public will see. I can remember being at church one day. One of my kids was um, running around, probably being too loud or whatever. It was after service anyway this woman came up to me and she said well, and you know my kids are pastor's kids so they've got an attitude anyway but <clears throat> she came up to me after the service and she looked at me and she said you know I really expected my children to be an example to be a better example and I looked at her and I said oh you know what I was really hoping you'd be an example you would be an example to my children and she went oh yeah that's a good idea <laughs> um so they're, they're going to mess up, and it could be public, and you could be embarrassed, but you keep doing the commandments diligently. Talk to your kids. Teach them about the Lord. But, but not only talk to them, but, but talk to him. I read a quote today from Angram Lott's daughter um, that said, I feel the desperate need to pray for my children because this is where the battles are won. More than anything else we can do in life, it is through prayer that we spend that we send the most protection, the most power to our children by praying for them. So don't only talk about him to your children. Talk to him about your children. And not only that, I don't know if this will make sense to you, but it makes sense to him. Talk about him, talk to him, but be willing to talk for him. Be the voice of God to your children when they're not listening for his voice themselves. Speak scripture to them. Talk about how much God loves them to them. Share about his mercy and his grace. Mike and I, I think we would both agree, made the mistake when our when we were raising our family that because of my husband's history, and I was no better, I was a ruined sinner, but he had some serious drug problems, serious problem with alcohol, um, he, he, he was a wreck, um, and God healed him and delivered him of all that. But I looked at the gene pool that he was bringing into this family, and I thought, hmm, I'm, I'm really worried about our kids. And he was worried about them too. And so we became, I think, unnecessarily strict, so worried that they would fall into the same traps that he did, that their lives would be affected or maybe ruined, and, and there were lots of rules and um, thinking we would keep them from trouble. And as time went on, we realized what a mistake that was. Not that you shouldn't have rules, not that you shouldn't be a strict parent, but they knew more about what they should not do than they knew about how much God loved them. And we really had to go back and ask for their forgiveness and repeat it all again and tell them again how much God loved them. And that was the one message that we wanted to send to them because it was God's love. I don't know about you, but it was God's love in my sin, in my lost state that drew me to him. It was his love that saved me, washed me clean. It was his love that healed my, my broken heart. His love is so powerful. It is your child's knowledge and belief and trust in, in God's love for them. Tell them, show them over and over again how much God loves them. It will, in the end, bring them right where they need to be with him. 
So the lover of God becomes the teacher of God, becomes the prayer to God, becomes the spokesperson to God of these commandments. And another thing that I noticed about this chapter, because I love repetition, was how many times it says, you shall. You shall. And that's kind of like a commandment in itself. It doesn't say, why don't you try this? Or maybe you want, want, to, want might want to do this. It says, you shall over and over and over again. That's how serious Moses is about what we are to do. So I wrote them all down. The first one we've already talked about, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your heart. And then the other one we just talked about also, you shall teach them. You shall talk to them. You shall bind his words upon you so it's visible. You shall write them on the doorposts. All of those verses are preceded by the words, you shall. Not maybe, not when you're in the mood, not when you have time. You shall. Verse 13 says, you shall fear the Lord. You shall diligently, in verse 17, keep his commandments. In verse 18, you shall do what is right. A long list of things that you and I are required to do because God knows that this will work well for us and for our families. There's also two negatives. I'm glad there's only two negatives. You shall not, in verse 13, go after other gods and you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And not only does Moses ask us to do all this and tells us to do this and commands us to do this and uses the word, you shall do this, there are promises that are guaranteed if we do. Verse 18 says, it will be well with you. You will possess the the land. You will defeat your enemies. Verse 24 says, he will preserve you alive. You will have life. And verse 25, I love this. If we do these things, the promise is that he will make us righteous in him. So that was just the way I kind of played around with that chapter, which I love to do. And I would suggest that you look at it yourself and write down nuggets that you find. Um, Don't go on what I said. Don't go on what Swindoll said. You yourself get along with your Bible, open it up and ask God to speak to you. So I want to share one last thing with you. And this is um, something that I hope will be helpful. I'm going to give you five words, my five words of mothering. Um, They all start with the letter L because I like everything to start with the same letter. Um, The first one is something that I I hope you'll understand. And and let's let's just take our hand. And the first one is, is your pinky. Okay. First L word, live in the moment. Live in the moment with your children. I spent so much of my motherhood waiting for that first smile, waiting till they could walk, waiting till they went to school, waiting till they could talk, all those things that sometimes I missed the beauty of the moment of time. And I know if you're a young mom and you have young kids, you're tired most of the time. You want to get to bed early. You want, to, you want it to kind of be over and have them grow up. But live in the moment. I had a friend. She lives not far from me. She was a grandmother. And, and um, she had this big, huge ranch. And she invited me out there once. And, um, um, and she, had, she had a lot of money. So she had servants and people who did everything for her. And I noticed on these big sliding glass doors that went out to her property, there were all these little handprints. And I went, Maggie, why didn't you have, what's her name? 
clean your glass doors. And she said, I, I would never let anybody touch those handprints. Those are the handprints of my grandchildren. That's my artwork. She says, look how the sun comes through them, makes them sparkle. And I thought, how many handprints did I wash away in frustration saying to my kids, could you reach up to the handle to open the door? Do you have to open it like this? How many moments do we miss like that of the beauty of right there, live in the moment. Even when the moment is difficult, live in the moment. The second one is listen. <clears throat> listen to your kids. Let them talk to you. Don't be afraid of what they're going to tell you. Years ago, I fell down my stairs and I broke my leg and, and I was in this hospital bed in our living room. I couldn't do any weight bearing, so I was there for like six weeks and crutches and I could go to the bed. But other than that, I just laid there. And the most amazing thing happened, my kids, who were at that time aged five up until the teenage years, they came and sat with me. It was like they had me where they, I wasn't running around. I wasn't driving carpool. I wasn't cooking. I wasn't doing laundry. I was right there. And they had me all to themselves. And they would come to me and they would tell me things that I really didn't want to know. Don't, don't, don't tell me that you did that with, okay, too much information. But they knew that. And I needed to learn to really let them speak. And I learned to listen and to not judge. I learned to listen and pray. I learned to listen and forgive. I learned to listen and love. Um, and I'll just share this real fast. I can, okay. Um, my youngest son, Philip, um, was, little, was little. He used to come crawl actually in my hospital bed with me and, um, and just snuggle up next to me. And, and he wanted to just stay there all day. And sometimes I just want to go to sleep. And, and, and I remember one time he was, he was there. We'd sang some songs. We'd done this. We'd done that, whatever. And, and, uh, and I said, maybe you want to go in the kitchen. get a No, I just want to lie here. Well, I said, well, I don't know what else to do. And he looked up at me and he said, why don't you count my eyelashes? And I went, okay, then will you go? <laughs> and so he closed his eyes and I can remember the touch of my hand on his cheek as I made up a number for this one and made up a number for that one. And he seemed totally satisfied with it and got up and he, and he ran off and, and I was lying there. I was talking to the Lord. I said, that was so sweet. I'll never forget that. And he just spoke right into my head and he said, close your eyes. I just would like to count your eyelashes even though he knows how many I have. He wants that intimacy with you. Your children want that intimacy with you. Listen to them. Be open to hear from them. Also, listen for God's voice and God's guidance. He will speak to you if you're listening. He will speak through his word. He will speak through his Holy Spirit to you, to lead you and to guide you and to strengthen you as you mother your children. And the third one, and I confess this to you, <clears throat> that I didn't always do this. Let your husband lead. And I know that's hard. Mike was strict. I was the softy. I felt I always had to just make up for his strictness by being super soft with my children. And for years, I tried to soften him, and he tried to toughen me. Until finally we learned that we were a good team and a good balance. Him being strict and me being soft. And I just needed to let him lead. 
And I know, honestly, as women, we can look and say we could do it better, we could do it faster, we could do it cheaper. Let him be the leader. That will speak volume, volumes to your children. It is God's order that he wants. Um, and the fourth one is um, laugh. I was with Joe and Kathy last night, and he reminded me <clears throat> of this story that I told a long time ago. And if you've heard it, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tell it again because he asked me to. But anyway, I think laughter is so important. We take ourselves too seriously. We take our houses, our decorating, our cooking, our children. We take it all too seriously. Life is funny. Families are funny. We need to laugh at each other, laugh at ourselves. We need to laugh together. A merry heart does good like a medicine. It relieves pressure. But this one, um, speaking of laughing, when I really learned this, this uh, my, my kids were little. We were moving out of a house we had lived in for 20 years in which I rarely threw anything out. Um, I, I was packing. I was organizing everything, going to a house that was still under construction, which would have all been kind of okay if my husband was not in Eastern Europe for five weeks. And I think he planned that trip so that I had to move alone. I had to pack. I had to organize. These kids who did not want to leave our neighborhood, did not want to leave their friends, they didn't want to go to this new house. So I'm dealing with all this. And finally, everything's packed and everything is in a box someplace. And it's the night before we move and the moving vans are coming in the morning. And I had become such a grump and such a complainer. And my kids would tell you this. I walked around all the time saying the same phrase over and over again, dad's in Europe and I have to do this all by myself. I have done this all by myself. I have packed all by myself. I have cleaned all by myself. And I was just full of self-pity. So the night before I fall into bed, I'm absolutely exhausted. And for some reason I had called too early to have the electricity turned off. So we had no lights. So in the middle of the night, my son Jonathan comes in. Do, do any of you have a kid who's a tapper? He, does, he just taps. He still does that. And he's a grown man with three children. He taps me when he wants my attention. And I feel I'm dead asleep, and I feel this tapping. And I went, what do you want? And he said, I think there's a spider in my bed. He was little. And I went, I wanted to go, so? I, th I think there's a spider in my bed. Please come and, and help me. And I went, oh, okay, so we're walking back to his room, and I am repeating this. I have, do you know, Jonathan, I have done this all by myself. I have packed, I have moved, I have cleaned, I have organized, and now I have to come in all by myself and find this spider. He said, I'm not going to be able to find the spider. There's no light. I the electricity has been turned off. And I remembered that in a box on my dryer, the laundry room is right next to his room, I, I knew there was a can of this stuff called uh, this bug spray. I think it's called cutter. You can actually spray it on people. It keeps bugs away. And I said, oh, I know what I'll do. I, you just stay right here, and I'm going to spray all this stuff in your bed, and, and, and that spider will not survive. So I go and I grab this can. Remember, it's dark. And I go back into his room, and I said, stand over there. And I, and I, and I took this can. Can't see anything. I sprayed his sheets. I sprayed the carpet. I sprayed the wall. was really tempted to spray him as I, when I was done, but I kind of walked by, and I went, now get into bed. That spider is dead for sure. You are okay. So as I'm walking back saying the same thing, you know, I've done this all by myself. I, I hear Jonathan say, it's really sticky in my bed. And I went, I don't care. The spider is dead. I have done this. I'm all alone. I've done this all by myself. 
So because I was up in the middle of the night, I hear the um, moving vans coming down the, the street. I went, oh no, they're here. And we're all still asleep. And I run in and I run to start waking up my five kids and I go to Jonathan's room and I have no memory of the night before. <laughs> and I notice that some idiot has come in in the night and has sprayed bright blue paint all over the carpet, all over the bedding, all over the wall. And, and I don't remember. And so I grab him by his skinny little shoulders and I said, did you do this? Do you think this is funny? I said, do you realize that the new people are coming today on a walkthrough? What am I gonna say? We marked where you put the bed with the paint? And he said, I didn't do that, Mommy, you did that. And all of a sudden, it just came back to me. And rather than being mad, we, we, started, we, were, we started laughing. We went and got all the other kids, and we all laughed. I called Mike in Europe and told him, and he laughed. We, we're still laughing about it today. It was the dumbest thing, the funniest thing that I've ever done. But you know what that laughter did? And learn to laugh in situations like that. It just dispelled all my self-pity, all my grumpiness, all my complaining, and we laughed our way all the way to our new house. And when I came back later that afternoon and the new owners were there and I just said, we marked where the bed went. Oh, they went, oh, okay. <laughs> Thinking I was incredibly insane. So learn to laugh. Learn to laugh about everything. It's funny, come on. The whole mothering thing, it's funny. And the last one, so that's the four fingers, and the last one is what we've already talked about, it's love. And this hand is totally useless. The, the, the living in the moment, the listening to God, the laughing. What was the other one that I do for? Let your husband, oh, I knew I'd forget that one. Let your husband lead. There would be no power. The, the fingers are useless by themselves. It is the thumb that makes the hand useful. And it is the thumb, this love, that allows you to grasp a hold of your children, of your mothering, of your relationship with the Lord. And hold on and watch as he sees you through. But it starts with you. Keep chapter 6. Tuck it away someplace starts with you and your relationship with the Lord, and it ends with God proving himself to you to be faithful, to be powerful, to be merciful, to be tender. I've come to know over the years that God, he loves my children better than I do. He loves my children more than I do. He made them. He created them. He knows what to do. He knows how to talk to them. He knows how to save them. He knows how to go and get them when they're lost. So trust him. And I'll pray with you, and then you're going to have some sharing. Lord, we come to you as mothers, as grandmothers, even me as a great-grandmother. We come in our, our failings and our frailty and our fear. And, and Lord, we so need you. We need you when it's really good and everything's prospering and everybody's doing well. We need you still. We need you when things fall apart. We need you when a prodigal runs away. We need you when a child is troubled and hurting. Our need for you just increases as our family grows, Lord. And I know for these girls who are sitting there, you are proving yourself faithful to them. Would you tonight reassure them of that? Would they let go of any guilt they have, any concerns they have, any fears that they have, and place themselves and their children and their marriages 
completely in your hands. And may they watch and see the wondrous things that you will do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.